coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. If you come from your experience, so you know what you've experienced that you didn't like, and you may be projecting into the future what you want based on other people's ideas, right? The idea of wealth or the idea of freedom. What you need to do is break it down. Break it down to say, okay, I want to be rich. What does that mean to me? What does that mean? Oh, I want to live in that kind of house. Well, what will that cost? Okay, what does that cost? How many hours do I need to work to get to that? Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 29. This episode's interesting fact is, in the U.S. alone, more than 100 billion plastic bags are used each year. That's more than 300 bags per person. Today's guest can verify that information and share some insights on how to help solve that problem. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sharon Rowe. Sharon started what she calls a tiny or intentional business in 1989, Eco Bags products to create a cultural impact, to move people away from single use plastic bags by offering a reusable solution. She started her business to make an impact and make a living on her own terms. She has sold millions of eco bags worldwide, inspiring a movement. Time magazine has called her a pioneer. Glamour magazine has featured her as an eco hero. Oprah has featured her bags to millions. Sharon is the author of The Magic of Tiny Business. Do this May. Sharon, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you. It's really, really a pleasure. And I know we had an opportunity to get to know each other uh, at the um, Barrett Kohler event this past, uh, I think it was back in, in June or July of 2017, a nice authors event in Chicago. Yeah, that was wonderful. And uh, it's always great to connect with authors, great to connect with people, but I'm really, really intrigued about your work and specifically about your mission. So let's jump right in, if you don't mind, and talk about this concept of an intentional business. What is it? Sure. Tell us, you know, when you say an intentional business, would you say that that's a common term? Because I, I don't hear it that often, but it's definitely something that's intriguing to me. Yeah. You know, I think what it is, is, I mean, I know what it is, is if you think of the tiny house movement or the tiny house living, it's about being very intentional about what you want to keep in your life and what you don't want, what brings you joy and what is extra stuff that you don't need. If you can bring that over into the business world, it's a lot the same. It's you really, you work to really articulate your why, why are you doing what you're doing? Okay. Yes. You're starting a business. So We know that you want to make a profit. You want to create a living for yourself. That's a basis. But how do you want to do that? And why are you doing that? You know, do you want to make a cultural impact? Do you only want to make profit? Do you want to have an effect on your community? Do you have other priorities in addition to your business, your family, young children, older children, you know, parents who are older that you need to take care of, whatever? How do you bring all this together and still build a business Uh, that has or makes the kind of impact you want and allows you to allows you to have other priorities in your life so that you're actually building it on your own terms with many intentions that you prioritize and you practice those intentions and you become more and more disciplined over time. And that's what I mean by an intentional business. It's not just that you fly into something because you want to figure one thing out 
and you let the market forces, you know, jostle you around and you go high and low because of them. I mean, that's going to happen anyway. But by identifying your why very specifically, why you are doing something, you are really setting yourself on a path for your how. Got it. That's a very powerful. <laughs> does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah. It does. And, okay. and as I'm thinking about it, because I know that that the trends nowadays, especially for our younger workers, is to really embed intention, to really embed purpose in their work. So that's one thing. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about somebody who is looking to either start a business, uh, to maybe make some adjustments in their work life. How would you advise them in terms of, you talked about some of it, the how, the why, you know, some mm-hmm. of the questions you would have, you would ask yourself, but what process would you encourage somebody who wants to do more than make a paycheck, you know, or to start a business so that they can, they can earn a livelihood? How would you advise them to kind of go through this process in a way where they can embed intention into their decision-making so that they ultimately feel really good about not only you know, the impact of their work, but like you talked about other things, whether it's work-life balance, being there for family, being there potentially for yourself, for your community, for whomever, right? These are things that we all grapple with and oftentimes we put to the back burner as we're trying to get ourselves established in, you know, in, in our work life, get our careers going. So somebody who's thinking about it or maybe looking to make a shift, what advice could you offer them? The questions, the ideas to think about, that would help them become more mindful about being intentional and ultimately living a more balanced and satisfying life and career? Well, I think you just hit it with being more mindful. And there's two ways to approach this. Um, first, The first thing you have to do, though, is you have to throw away or just don't pay attention to all the cultural myths that say, go big or bust. Just get away from that notion of you know, black or white. I mean, when you're in business and you're growing a business and you're building a business, it's kind of like riding a roller coaster. And even businesses that do phenomenally well, it's like stars. You know, stars aren't just born. They toil for years and years and years on the back lots. Um, And then at the point at which the public sees them, it's like, oh, that's a star. It's like, yeah, but 20 years went into the making on that. I mean, sure, there are some some people who just rise to the top instantly. uh, But then you have to say, okay, how long do they stay at the top? So you need to ask yourself some very key clarifying questions, I think. And not everyone knows what they want, but a lot of people know what they don't want. So sure, you can start with, I want this, that, or the other, but you can also start with, I don't want to only have two weeks of vacation. I don't want to work in a dark office. I don't want to work on weekends. I don't want to work after 6 p.m., I don't want to work when the sun goes down. You know, whatever is meaningful to you, that's where you start. What what don't you want? Because that's going to be based on what you already had and you know you want to move away from that. And then look at what you want. And I think the pile of what you want, the list of what you want can grow over time. None of this is set in stone. And as you mature and as the business grows and or your relationships to people in your world, everything is changing. It's mobile. It's fluid. You can adjust for that because I say, you know, if you don't treat yourself well, how are you going to do well? Who wants to have done really well and be really sick at the end of the journey? I mean, is it possible to build a business and enjoy the moments as you go through them as opposed to working against them or having them work against you? And I say yes, Uh, but it does take a lot of mindfulness and 
the asking of those questions and the preparation of your priorities is what you return to regularly to keep you either on track or to adjust because maybe a new path showed up. But it's, it's a practice that keeps you true to who you are and what you want so that you develop along those lines and so that you don't wind up it's compromising, but I call it nicking. You know, the more you nick at your soul, the less soul you have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can kind of die. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be in that position. You want to be in a position where you're, for at least 80% of the time, because I do allow for the fact that it doesn't always go your way. You, you're not always in control. But what you can do is you can drive your bus. Mm-hmm. It's essentially what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. saying. You can decide the whens and the ifs and the, oh, that partner would be really great to work with, but he or she is asking this of me, and I don't really feel right about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you've thought about that stuff beforehand, and you've really sat with your bigger questions, what do you want to prioritize? And also, what's enough for you? Everybody has a different enough bucket. You'll be able to navigate those really challenging questions a little with a little less stress. <laughs> Got it. Because <laughs> we know that there can be stressful, but when, you know, like you're a deer with the headlights, um, you know, deer in the headlights, it's sometimes you don't make the best decision. But when it, you've spent time to revisit these priorities and ask these questions, you can stay closer to yourself and mature uh, with your priorities. Absolutely. That's a very, very powerful response. I'd like to reinforce one point and then go deeper on another if I can. Uh, Sometimes I think, like you said, we have a hard time articulating exactly what it is that we want, right? If you ask people, they'll say things like they want to be rich, they want to be happy, they want to be healthy, et cetera. And all those are great, but they're not overly specific and they may not necessarily really express what they want in actionable terms. So what you talked about, the idea of saying, well, what do I not want? what am I looking to avoid? I think in those cases, that could actually be quite powerful because ultimately there, what you're doing is you're giving yourself a framework of things to avoid. And if you're able to do that, like you said, I want to avoid working on weekends. I want to avoid friction in my workplace. I want to avoid certain other things. And maybe it can't be fully avoidable, but at least you've got a starting point that may be easier to identify, especially when you have felt discomfort and pain in other work environments for long enough. So I think that that's a great point. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, you talked about throwing away corporate myths. You talked about, you know, identifying for yourself, well, what is enough? And so how do you, in your own mind, take what the world has to offer? You know, the world projects something and says, you know, you want this and you want this beautiful home. You want this, you know, uh, level of income and these kinds of things. Or you want to, you know, work in a particular way. You talked about go big or go, I don't remember exactly the term now. But, yeah. but either way, you know, how do you know when what the world is pitching is really worthwhile? And how do you know to be able to say to yourself, that might be very popular and it might be out there, but it's not what I need in order to feel comfortable and in order to feel successful? That's a very, very big question. And it takes a lifetime uh, to embrace. And I think where you start is actually something that you said that I said, <laughs> which is if you come from your experience, so you you know what you've experienced that you didn't like, and you may be projecting into the future what you want based on other people's ideas, right? The idea of wealth or the idea of freedom. What you need to do is break it down 
break it down to say, okay, I want to be rich. What does that mean to me? What does that mean? Oh, I want to live in that kind of house. Well, what will that cost? Okay, what does that cost? How many hours do I need to work to get to that? What kind of employment or uh, business do I need to build to get to that? What will that require of me in year one, year three, year five, year 20? I mean, it's a lot of working backwards. And then maybe you come to, I don't really want that. I don't want a luxury car that's going to cost me, I don't know, um, let's say $600 a month or whatever, when I can do just fine renting a car. Because if I rent a car, I have plenty of extra resources to go camping and hiking wherever I want to go and possibly have a trip somewhere else. So by prioritizing what's important to you, what gives you joy, and when you have joy, you can share your joy with other people. I mean, this is not some ephemeral thing. This is real energy being passed among people. That's where you'll get your energy to possibly even build your business bigger than you thought. But when you're trying to accomplish something that you haven't really specifically defined what it looks like, and it may be outside the scope of where you could possibly even get to from where you're standing now, you're living in the world of, and my father-in-law used to say it all the time, no one's going to bring you a pizza. No one's going to show up at your door with a pizza. So, and you have to understand, will that bring you what will that give you? <laughs> you know, so that falls into your enough piece. And I think our cultures really challenges us with enough because we live in a consumer type culture, which now has broken in many ways communities. You know, if bringing a group of people over for dinner and sharing a nice bottle of wine and cooking together is what is enough for you and have more of that enough then you don't have to kill yourself working to make more of whatever resource you have so they can go out and buy your lattes and avocado toast and go out to dinner, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and I'm not, I'm trying not to point this towards lifestyle, but just life. How do you want to live your life fully and bring value to yourself, your community and, and make an impact? Beautiful. Something definitely. So I hope I answer that yeah. because health is important to me. Yeah. Well, health <laughs> so is you important. Can't make sure. Crazy. Yeah. You can make yourself unhealthy mentally and physically. And my own personal goal is to stay optimally healthy mentally and physically as I go through this on this journey called business. Yeah, you raised an important point that I'd like to just circle back on briefly before we shift here. And that is that I think we have to be willing to ask more questions and really to question the basic, let's call it premises, if you will, that society that uh, marketing often presents us with. You know, there's all this stuff that we are bombarded with about what would, how our life would be improved if. And we sometimes just have to take a half step back and say to ourselves, well, is that really the case? You know, is it, is it really going to make a qualitative difference in my life if I go ahead and uh, incorporate this or if I don't? And so that I think is uh, something that all of us would benefit from no matter what it is, whether it's a business opportunity, a lifestyle change, an item we could buy ask ourselves, how would my life really change with this? And if it's not everything that they're putting it out there to be, and perhaps even just by pausing and listening and let it sort of ref, you know, reflect upon you, uh, or you reflect upon it, I should say, for a little bit of time, you know, often you'll pause and you'll say, you know, I don't really need that, or that's not really something that's going to make my life qualitatively better. And then you just continue on with where you've been and just enjoy life for what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's actually, yeah, there's actually been studies that show that if you have that urge to uh, purchase something on a whim and whether it's marketing or just desire or whatever, and 
you you just pick it up and you hold it and you put it back. You've actually given yourself the same kind of dopamine hit <laughs> that if you actually bring it home and then you have buyer's remorse. So there's that too. I mean, it's what in your experience and or experiences do you want to include and what do you not want to include and what and what things also are special versus um, everyday occurring. I mean, when I was growing up, going out to dinner was a special event. It wasn't an automatic everyday event, sure. you know, and and that applies to a lot of other parts of culture now. I mean, I point to avocado toast. I didn't know what the rage was all about that I finally had. I said, this is amazing, but I don't need to have it every day. Sure. <laughs> it's a treat. Yeah. And there's a difference between a treat and a regular event. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because the timing of this is quite quite, uh, I don't know what the proper term is, but it, it works out quite well, I should say, that I'm listening to an, an audiobook right now on Audible called The Willpower Instinct by Kelly uh, McGonigal, if I pronounce that correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. But either way, he does talk about extensively about dopamine and the impact of marketing and other things like that. Um, so there's, there's certainly a lot there, a lot of science and a lot of research that speaks to how much we are influenced uh, by things in the moment. And if we can take that half step back, uh, and reflect upon it, then oftentimes we just don't need it. And then we move on. That Yeah, that goes to business too, I just want to say, because less can be more. Because if you take a moment and step back and you think, if I only had that extra person to do X, Y, Z, but you take a moment to step back and you think, well, what are the essential things that person would add? And you trim it and you get very specific about what you want to add. You don't have to take on that huge piece of overhead you can very specifically direct that intentional piece of business and get the kind of return that you're looking for. Got it. Okay. So I want to know a little bit more, let's say focus on your business, because Mm -hmm. that is something that I think is very interesting to me and I'm sure to uh, lead to Succeed Nation as well. Talk us through the beginning of your business process. How did you get started? And uh, and what were you seeking to achieve in starting EcoBags? Well, you know, I started without a business degree. I was an actress in New York City. And as I write in the book, uh, my acting filled seats, but not my pocketbook. Uh And I had a child and I had to make a living. And I didn't like what was presented to me in terms of opportunities with acting. I didn't really want to promote products I didn't believe in, in terms of the commercial world. And I had taken a lot of other positions in selling and whatnot, you know, things that actors do. And I saw this problem of plastic bag waste and nobody was talking about it, but it really irked me that it was, you know, instantly became garbage, these single use plastic bags that were made from petroleum. I didn't even know that back then. And I decided that if I could use my energies to shift cultures, cultural thinking on this and make a living, that would be enough. That's where I started. It was enough. If I could have free time, I wanted a lot of time. I just had a baby. So if I could have uh, a lot of free time to be with my family, if I could build something that I could really connect to deeply, that I knew would be a cultural shift, then all would be wonderful. Now that matured over time because um, as my kids grew up and, and you know there were more financial demands on the family, my husband also works. He's a teacher. I mean, I had a shift a bit in terms of what enough was and enough became, you know, came to include a larger household and then college and then retirement, et cetera, et cetera. But the enough piece was never like, I'm going to take over the world. The driving force was cultural shift, was if I could see this little idea, this tiny idea, make an impact, that would be enough in tandem with uh, being a profitable business because I tie profitability 
to social or mission-based businesses because without profit, you don't have a platform to stand on. You know, without profit, you can't proceed. I love the idea. If I could jump in for a second on the idea of enough, yeah. uh, we're recording this in late March, just uh, a week and a half for Passover, and so one of the um, passages which is read around the around the Seder table is the idea that if God would have just done this, it would have been enough. And if this would have happened, it would have been enough. And now when you compound all of the goodness that occurred during the Exodus and you put it all together, there's that much more gratefulness that we have an obligation to express as part of that service. And so it kind of brings to me to mind the idea that oftentimes we want to think big and we want to conquer the world. And we're not necessarily willing to pause every step of the way and say, whether it's enough in the literal sense or not, but am I showing enough appreciation? Am I feeling good? Am I connecting with my, my desire to feel like I'm accomplishing? And in so doing, uh, allowing myself to appreciate all the good that's happened to me and all that I've achieved. And so even though I know you're taking enough a little bit of a different direction, uh, it still is important, I think, for all of us to not get overwhelmed by all the potential that we could be creating and just appreciating in the moment, like you said, if I'm making a difference in society, if I'm living the lifestyle that I want, if I feel genuinely good about myself and I'm preserving my health and all these kinds of benchmarks that you've established, that's enough. Let me be satisfied yeah. there. And let me just <laughs> let me just move forward with that sense of contentment. Yeah, no, it, to it totally, you know, you just had, I had an aha moment with you speaking because I grew up with that same Seder. And I was like, oh, maybe that really went deeper <laughs> than I thought. Because <laughs> sometimes you don't know where these things come from. Yeah, yeah. I think that is, that is really, you know, uh -huh. Just hearing that, you know, year after year after year. And sometimes um, you don't get it because you started hearing it as a child. And so as a result, and I'm a former educator, so I think I could relate uh -huh. to this in particular. You know, we, we tend to frame things the way we first learn them. So if we open up the Bible, for example, as a kid, we tend to have a juvenile perspective on the characters that we encounter uh, or the ideas and the themes that it presents. And that's unfortunate because as we mature, our thinking needs to mature as well. And so mm -hmm. oftentimes as kids, we have these conceptualizations about what the world, what life is all about. And we need as adults to take that step back and say to ourselves, well, is it really all that I've been pitched until now? Or can I rewrite my future? Can I rewrite my destiny? Can I rewrite what satisfaction looks like, what, what contentment looks like? And so I think you're really hitting on some really, really fascinating and powerful ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to ask you, Sharon, tell us a little bit about your book, the magic of tiny business, which is due out um, by the time that this goes live, it'll be around the time of your launch. I don't know the exact date. Um, oh, that's awesome! But either way, besides for everything you've already shared, a little bit about your business yeah. and your philosophy, what else does the book hit on, and what are some lessons that we could glean from it? Well, the book really uses my narrative with EcoBags products and invites people into this space called impactful right-sized business, where you put your own values yourself at the center of the business and you allow your decisions about the business to be informed by your own personal needs and choices because i believe that you actually can get more done and more substantial stuff done uh that way because you're not being nicked and you're not being exhausted you're refilling your well as it were on an ongoing basis again i always say 80 percent of the time because 20 percent of the time you just stuff happens. So let's just put that 20% over there with the recession and everything else that hits. 
But the book really goes into uh, a lot of mistakes I made. And it actually has cartoons by a New Yorker cartoonist, Julian Rowe, my son, because I think business can seem very untouchable, out of reach for a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of people who have very strong opinions and desires to do the change, be the change that they want to see in the world and make an impact and have their voice heard. And they don't know that business actually can be a very welcoming community and environment. And so I want my book with all of its ask yourself the questions and here's how you, I did it. And here's some ideas of how you can do it because it's really a guide as well as a narrative. It's not just an inspirational book. There's step-by-step guidance in this book from marketing to financials, really brass tacks, basic stuff that will serve as a good foundation that you really need to say, you know, I want, where am I going with this? That the book is an an invitation to the business world. It's I call it a bridge to the world of B corporations, which are certified um, socially driven mission businesses, social venture network. It's saying, come on, join us, do more good, bring more good in the world, come with your aligned self, your mindful self, and build more businesses that will touch and affect people so that we can grow and create this change that we want to see by participating with each other. I mean, again, traditional business says, how are you going to scale? How are you going to scale? How are you going to get bigger? How are you going to own the market? I'm promoting spawning, which says, look at me. I did it. If I did it, so can you. Here's what I learned. I want to share with you what I learned so that you have the opportunity to pick a path where you can grow, learn, and you know, create a living that's meaningful for you and your your community. So that's a very powerful message. And I definitely would encourage everyone to lead to Succeed Nation. We will get the book link into the show notes uh, once it becomes available. I'm assuming it'll be on Amazon and other online places. Oh yeah, it's already, actually already on Amazon for pre-order. Oh, fantastic. Just, so we'll get the we'll get yeah, the we'll get yeah. the link in there for sure. But tell us specifically, Sharon, about a hurdle, a challenge. You talked about mistakes. I don't want to I don't oh want to drill God. this down that way, but pick <laughs> pick one in particular that you think that others who are listening to this conversation could learn from and how did you overcome it? Okay, so here's a big one. And I and I love that you asked me this because I, I spoke at Yale last year and people connect when other people expose themselves with their vulnerability and their mistakes. So here you go. I d- had never done forecasting or budgeting. I was like maybe 20 years into my business. I just really it was all going really well. And then we got hit with the recession. And I now follow my numbers exactly. I mean, I think you need, if you're in business, you're in numbers. You have to follow your numbers. Your forecasting and your budgeting is what allows you the structure, the vessel to make ideas happen. So what I learned was you need to really follow your numbers. You can't take your eye off of them at all. And sometimes you have to make very hard decisions like letting people go or reducing hours or shifting responsibilities. And you kind of have to put your, your pants, your big, I call you big girl pants on and just go for it. And I shied away from some of those responsibilities because I, I was kind of like, didn't know what to do, didn't know what direction to go in. And I hadn't thought about what I needed to think about beforehand. Not that you can, but I hadn't asked some of the very hard questions, the really hard questions that I actually put out in the book to ask and think about before you find yourself in a situation. 
you know, with regards to how far you're willing to go with your business if it's challenged and what to do. So that combined with forecasting and budgeting would be my two biggest takeaways from the biggest mistake that I made, which was not doing that to begin with and not realizing the importance of that, which seems silly. But remember, I came as an actor, an improvisational actor, not a business person. Yeah, I get it. I came in as an educator and a coach. Yeah. And so I'm still, you know, continuing to evolve on the on the business side as well. And I appreciate very much uh, you're sharing this. And yes, you are right. People do connect very much to vulnerability and our willingness and our uh, capacity, if you will, to uh, to talk, share ideas, and really talk about the things that didn't work as well as the things that do. Because ultimately, if we put ourselves up on pedestals, people are not going to be able to learn from us. Yeah. And if you say, I don't know what I'm doing, it, that's a great opening for somebody to say, I can help you. I think yeah. people are very generous and they want to help each other too. They are. They are. Absolutely. And we're going to shift now to a fun, nice ending to our conversation today, which is our rapid fire segment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of quick questions for you, Sharon. These I did not share with you in advance. So okay. here we go. Oh, no. Number one, on a scale of one to 10, how driven are you? Well, seven. Okay. One thing that is interesting from your daily routine. I write every morning and I meditate every morning and I do everything in the exact same. It's linear. One right after the other. I'm very specific. Got it. I, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you time to elaborate. Okay. But one person in your life that helped you most to get to where you are today. Oh, my mother. And finally, the last one. The best thing about living in New York State that most folks don't know. Oh, the best. It's it's beautiful and cultural and diverse and exciting and tons of artists. And and you're not far from the city, right? You're like 30 some odd minutes oh, north. Oh yeah, no, we're coming? just Metro New York City. Yeah, no, we're a very uh, culturally dense community. But you're you're north enough to be able to talk about the state, not just the city. Oh yeah, yeah, no, you know, I'm some right of, on the Hudson some River. of us city folks don't even know that there's. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, I see trees and birds, and I see the Hudson River right outside my window. And I swim in the Hudson River. I swim across it, actually. So, yes. So, Sharon, tell Lead to Succeed Nation how they can get in touch with you, learn more about your work, connect with you, anything you'd like to share about your book, et cetera, before we wrap up. Okay, sure. This is really great. Thank you. To connect with me, uh, SharonRowe.com, R-O-W-E. And there you'll find all the links to LinkedIn and Instagram is really big right now and Facebook, et cetera. My business is Ecobags.com. And uh, the book, The Magic of Tiny Business, is uh, available for pre-sale on Amazon um, and Barnes & Noble and a few others. And um, I welcome you to pre-order it. And if you order it, write a review, please. I would like to start another movement with this. I'd like to see millions of eco-bags out there uh, working to make a living and uh, make a better world. And we would be honored to be a small part of that process and that movement. So thank you, Sharon, for sharing all of this wisdom, all of these insights and these great tools and resources. Uh, Before we let you go today, can you leave us, please, with one final life lesson to inspire us for the rest of our day? Be good to yourself. Treat yourself well. Keep yourself healthy so that you can do the work you need to do. Sharpening the saw. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you, Sharon, again for everything, for all of your time, your insight and uh, wisdom. And uh, hopefully we will watch the book grow and succeed as well as everything that you are doing to contribute to community and our world as a whole. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I love this conversation. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Today's leadership quote is, we won't have a society if we destroy the environment. Margaret Mead. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to head over to impactfulcoaching.com where you could sign up for our blog and podcast, download free leadership eBooks, and so much more. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.